Oh, there we go. Good morning. My name is Angela Cooper, and I just want to welcome you to New Church Live. I work here at New Church Live, and my role is just helping people plug in and connect to the community that happens here. Um, It's been pretty um, busy despite us being primarily virtual, Um, and we're just so thrilled to have you here. And I just want to let you know that if you ever have questions or want to find out more ways to get involved, there's a couple of ways to do that. Um, on our website, there's a contact form. If you ever have a question or you want to you know, ask about ways to get involved, you can fill that out and I get them um, and I can answer your questions. You can email me. You can put your information in the chat window and I just would love to plug people in and help them connect. Um, we also have a weekly newsletter that goes out um, and you can fill out all that, you know, the contact form in my email um, if you want to sign up for that. And we're just so thrilled to find ways to connect people with the New Church Live community. Um, We continue to have our coffee and donuts after church. Um, That's always in the um, chat window. You can join that any week. And it's just a chance to connect after church online and talk about the service and what came up for you. Um, Our online um, parishioners out in Michigan run that group. And it's just a great way to connect. We also have a handful of online small groups. I run a mom's group. So if you're just, if you're looking for ways to get involved, please don't hesitate to reach out. I really love helping people plug in. Um, And the other thing I want to mention is we're lucky this week to have um, Curtis here speaking. We've been trying to build in weeks for Chuck to take some time off to recharge and be his, you know, vibrant self here on Sundays. So we're so lucky to have Curtis here filling in for him this week. And hopefully um, Chuck isn't watching, so he's taking time off, but he is. Um, We're just so thrilled that he'll be back next week. So anyway, I just want to welcome you all to New Church Live and just appreciate you all being here online. So thank you, everyone. So, I've got something really great that we get to talk about today. And this is something that is the key to freedom and happiness. Are you interested? Yeah. So, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's humility. Oh, come on. Don't turn it off. Humility is not exciting And it's not something you generally want to have happen to you. Hey, Curtis, how did New Church Live go? What did people think of it? What was the experience giving New Church Live today? It was humbling, right? That's not usually where we want to be. But what I hope to do today is flip our perspective on this so that we get to feel, I got humbled today. I got humbled today. Because... Humility is the vital spiritual neurotransmitter that lets us get exactly where we're trying to get through all of our non-humble pursuits. I would say humility is true happiness. So if I said I have a a key that's gonna unlock freedom and happiness and it's true happiness, well, of course. Of course we're gonna stick around for that. So what is the connection? How does humility equal true happiness. And both of those words are operative here. We're going to unpack how it goes. We're going to begin with a story. This is the story of the centurion. And we are going to analyze it, and we're going to dig into it. But first, we got to feel it. So this first reading is just 
feel the story, and I, I am going to posit that this is a story about humility and the power of it. But let's just feel our way through the story. This, oh, this is a story about Jesus, by the way. Now, when this is, if people like the reference, this is from Matthew 8, verse 5. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. That's nice. Jesus is fairly amenable to this guy, a powerful guy, centurion. Okay, you've got somebody. It's a a Jesus-like thing to do, right? You've got somebody who's hurting, I'm going to come and heal him. Okay, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. So just right there, I'm going to pause before I go into this. What I feel like it's just, for some reason, a really poetically moving description of the centurion's world and what he does. But I want to pause there because I could see people in the crowd at that point being like, ooh, what did he just say to Jesus? Like Jesus said, I'm going to go do this. And he's telling him, no, don't do it. You don't need to. How's Jesus going to take this? But first, listen to how the centurion elaborates on why he's refusing Jesus' kind offer to come and help. I don't know why, but just like, there's like music behind this to me that plays in my head when I read it. It just, there's like emotion in it. For I am, I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, so what's the reaction? He marveled. Oh, yeah, and when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, to those people in the crowd, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. By the way, is the centurion in the running for Jesus' favorite character in the Bible? And I know that's that's... misleading because Jesus loves everybody and he spends a lot of time with the disciples, but the centurion, like you don't hear this kind of praise that often. There's tons of kindness, but, but this is really significant here. I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you, and suddenly, suddenly things get a little intense really fast. I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) Whoa, where did that come from? Then Jesus, so, and we will return. I told you, we're we're not analyzing it right now. We're just feeling it. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. So we can tell the centurion is displaying some kind of humility there. And we know that 
it's important and it matters and this healing gets done, but there's this something about the bridge between the request and the healing is, is upgraded or empowered or something. Let's return to our analysis of humility because the more we understand about humility, the more we're gonna understand Jesus's reaction in that story. So I've told you that humility, we're talking about humility as a way of life. I told you that humility is true happiness. I'm gonna give humility another title, another way for us to understand this. Like think if you were doing charades and you got picked to act out humility. It's a very abstract thing. So let's see if we can't get more concrete, not just a description of it, but how could it possibly be so powerful that it can unlock true happiness and freedom for us? Humility is serotonin. There's that, um, I don't know who it is. Is it Joni Mitchell? I just want to say that, but don't just seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone. You may not think about serotonin much. Um, full disclosure, I'm taking a little medicine that helps me make more serotonin. Because when you don't have it, when, they pay, when there's no paradise, there's just a parking lot, you really miss it. So let's look into what, so this is the same way it is with humility, right? You don't realize just how much it can do for you. So what is serotonin, if we're gonna get our correspondences going here, that we're getting a physical representation that's gonna help us understand a spiritual concept. This is from hormone.org, my favorite website. I just I hadn't been there before. Have you ever wondered what hormone, and just listen to what, how important serotonin is. You've probably heard of it linked to are you feeling depressed or not, but there's serotonin is a load-bearing pillar in your body. Have you ever wondered what hormone is responsible for your mood and feelings? Serotonin is the key hormone that stabilizes our mood, feelings of well-being and happiness. Right there, by the way, Feelings of well-being and happiness is what the rich seek in riches and the powerful seek in power. That's quoting Swedenborg. That's what everybody's trying to get, as well as balancing mood. So already, this is like, this is the key to unlocking those things physically. This hormone impacts your entire body. So this is not just, yeah, it can turn the lights on or off, in how, you're, how it feels when you think about your life. This hormone interacts with your entire body. It enables brain cells and other nervous system cells to communicate with each other. I'm no doctor, but you want that happening. Serotonin also helps with sleeping, eating, and digestion. You know that? You, to digest your food, you've gotta have your serotonin levels right. However, if the brain has too little serotonin, it may lead to depression. Serotonin helps reduce depression, regulate anxiety. Oh, and let's just throw in at the end, maintain bone health. Oh, it does that too, do you need your bones? Serotonin is this crucial, almost do everything element that if it's like, if you, somebody was sitting there and let's just think on a, let's just think physically. If somebody's sitting here and saying, I don't know how to improve my health. 
because my, my bones are hurting, my nerves are not talking to each other, my, I can't really digest well, I don't feel good, I don't have good mood stability. That's so, that seems like this huge complex of problems. You'd have to spend years breaking down each one and pursuing it, but it all can come back to the same thing. It all can come back to serotonin. Humility is like spiritual serotonin. So I want to give you a long, complex, and challenging quote, because that's what you came here for. Um, this is from Secrets of Heaven, and it is a way that we can under, start to understand humility from a spiritual perspective, what it does for us in the mind and heart and our ability to connect with God and, and with heaven. We'll see how it plays this serotonin-like role and what blocks it from coming. And we actually dive like halfway into this sentence where he makes one of the key points I want to make, so it's going to come really fast. The reason a state of humility is vital to worship itself, okay, stop, there's no punctuation there, but stop. Humility is vital to worship itself. What are we trying to do? I don't know if you how often we're thinking about worship, but this is what we're doing here, right? This is what we're pursuing in religion is we, we think, look, we have all of these problems, just like this person had all these problems that didn't have their serotonin, right? You know, I'm, I, I don't know what I'm, I don't know really who, who I am. I don't know how to manage this stuff in my life. Um, I'm looking for more meaning. You insert your reasons here. And so that has nudged me to start looking to God through worship to try to, will you help me with this thing called life, will you show me the right path? Humility is vital to worship itself, okay? You've got to have that. It's like, maybe it's like carbon. You've got to have it for life. The reason a state of, why? Okay, why? It's got, you can't just say it is. It's got to have a, a mechanism that makes it so important. The reason a state of humility is vital to worship itself is that Insofar as the heart is humbled, self-love and all resulting evil comes to an end. What? Okay, never mind that. I don't get that. Self-love. Well, okay, so this is just classic religious, go to church, you, you know, you're trying to make me feel bad about myself and I'm evil and, you know, God hates me and that's it. You know, in the... It's, I keep not knowing my pop culture references. It, it definitely is. The Princess Bride, where he says, inconceivable. You, you keep using that word. I don't think you know what it means. This is, this is semantics. So when Swedenborg, in this quote, is talking about self-love, we're talking about something different than uh, self-esteem. Uh, you know, am I, am I a lovable person? And actually, later in this quote, we're going to get a peek into what he means when he, that phrase is being used and how it can, when we, the humility is the antidote to this, whatever this thing is, self-love that he's talking about. And as it removes the self-love, we come into happiness and freedom. Okay. I told you it was a dense, long, challenging quote. Insofar as these come to an end, meaning all the resulting evil or stuff that clogs up our system, 
Good, as these come to an end, good and truth, that is charity and faith, love and wisdom, flow in from the Lord. You think of the Lord as like the sun and all the stuff that we want, that, that feeling of love for other people, that clarity of insight of what life's really all about, it's beating down, right? But we're just stuck under a roof. We're stuck in a cave. It's right there. Or, yeah, we're under a tarp, something that doesn't sound glamorous. For what above all else, why is humility so important? For what above all else stands in the way of their being received is, okay, again, this self-love. What are you talking about? And here we go. Here's where we're starting to learn what this, what is called self-love here. It came out of a Latin word. What is it? Indeed, within self-love, there lies contempt for all others in comparison with oneself. Oh, right. I know that. That is the classic you're not in traffic, you are traffic. I can't believe that I'm sitting here stuck in traffic. All these people in my way. You, the person behind you, is saying that to you. This is just a default that we have. That we just, there is this element of, this is me. You're in my way. Like, all these cars are in my way. Oh, right, there are people behind me, but whatever. It's just cars. Indeed, within self, so this, what we're describing here is a part of our ego that I would say is universally present. It manifests differently in different people. So some of us are prone to temper. Some of us are prone to manipulating whatever it is. You know, find yourself in there and just know this is a fun exercise because once we can identify this, we can get that humility, which frees us from that, which brings us happiness peace, freedom, love, everything we're looking for. There lies, okay, so within this thing, self-love, there lies contempt for all others in comparison with oneself. There lies hatred and revenge if one is not venerated most highly. Don't you know who I am? And this might sound like, oh, that's something that a king has, but I mean, it's whenever you... There's many things that I don't believe I should be venerated most highly in, but anything that I think I'm good at, and, I'm, and that can be so subtle. I can just be like, well, I know how to do this. this is my area. Um, what, you, didn't, you didn't mention me when you had this conversation? There in, and there lies mercilessness and cruelty within it. Thus the worst evils of all into which good and truth cannot possibly be introduced since they are completely opposite. Swedenborg does make the point that, you know, you can see it around the world that human beings can erupt into doing terrible things to each other and that we have this responsibility to make sure we're not susceptible to that. So there are, within this thing, whatever this self-love is that's opposed to humility, there's this stuff that makes us difficult to work with, but also this potential for us to exhibit the characteristics that we all look at the news and say, wow, why are people doing that, right? So we can all do our part to get at that. So humility is what frees us from that, which is a good deal for us because it lets in this good and love and truth, but it's also a good deal for everybody else because what, sure, we can wonder like, do I really want to be humble? I bet 
everybody else, I bet you love um, hanging out with other people who are humble. I know like when I'm, even when I'm tuning into some program and I can tell that the person giving it is humble, it feels great. If, you, if you're working with somebody, if you're chatting with somebody and they are, they're not full of themselves, they do not believe that they are better than you, that's a great feeling. So we want to get there, but there's this problem. Is it really true? Is humility true? Isn't there this issue with, you can't just be humble. Why, why should I be humble? Uh, it's not true. It's just trying to be nice. I, uh, sure, I get it. You're, you're supposed to be humble, but I really am good at this thing. Or I really do know better than this person. How do we get around that? Because that is the trap that my mind will put me in. It's like, well, you can't, you can't go to that humility. I can, I can immediately feel the effect of humility because you have your own thoughts and feelings that are coming at you and worrying you about life. And as soon as you go, well, this feeling of like, oh, I'm, you know, well, I'm, I'm just lucky to have what I have. It's this amazing tool against that stuff. But how do you get there? And how can humility be something that is so present in us that it's like serotonin, which you need to have a good supply of all the time? Well, I would argue that humility is true. Humility is actually the only true state. Everything else is just pretending. I'm not saying pretend that, that you, you, know, you need to be humble about things that you're actually good at just so, you know, to fit this weird equation and God is in there somewhere. Humility is the only true state literally true state. Everything else is just pretending. And I will give you the scenario in which that can be true, even though people are doing amazing things all the time and people are really good at things and you, you may be really good at things or you've done really great things. So imagine that there's us and sometimes we get, we get a trophy for something. We, we do something really well. We are just good at something. We are better than other people at this thing. It happens. I'll tell you a story. Um, and it just seems like you're saying to me that I need to be humble when I'm actually good at this. And so it's just, it's artificial and I don't want to be doing that. But there is a character that nobody wants to be. And I'll, and I'll show you, share with you this character. So let's say that this person won an essay contest and it was for some it's pretty big contest right so they they're getting a little bit of prize money and they're getting some recognition and it's a it's a big deal and the essay was to write something you know great and all the participants tried their best they wrote an essay they submitted it, and this was the one that was picked. But this person, in this case, let's say it's us. In this case, actually, we didn't write our essay alone. We got help. We have a friend who's actually a really good writer. She majored in it, and she's been doing some freelancing. And we handed a first draft to her, and she really reworked a ton of stuff, changed 
the whole outline of it. And then we had, you know, we've got like our spouse also has a, an eye for a few things and they worked on it hard. A few actually it became like this group effort. And they, and then we're suddenly taking credit for it. And, and we don't mention, in our acceptance speech, we don't mention the people who, in the work that they did in it. Yeah, you don't want to be that. Well, that's, that's not true either, right? You don't want to be that. So the argument that I'll make before we go into our song, the process, before we return to the centurion and the power of humility is that everything good that we're doing, everything cool that we're doing, we didn't do it alone. And actually, we didn't do the lion's share of the work on it. We, we wouldn't even really be the one making the acceptance speech. We would be thanked. So... There's a lot of levels on which this is true. It's just true physically, if you want to start there. When you did that thing, when you wrote that essay, whatever you did, how do you write? Like, how do you move your arm? Can you explain to me that process? Probably not. Where, did you design the process that allows you to write? I'm left-handed, so this is actually how I write. Did you design that process? Even me just saying there, I'm left-handed. Did I choose to, did I, did, when I was a baby, did I know what left-handed was? Right? So there's that level, but Swedenborg has this awesome um, explanation of the depth to which this is the case. So God is like the sun, and everything that is good and true, everything that you would want to take credit for, everything that is noble and and life-giving is coming out of God and is coming into us. So it's undeniable that people are good at things. But actually, that, how did you get to be good at that? You can say, well, I, I worked hard at this, but it's like, in comparison, I, I can say, how, I worked out to get in shape. But working out is like you do a few of these and then this amazing cascade of cellular processes happens that you, you could not write out. Similarly, the goodness and the truth. And, and you may think that I'm here trying to take us down a peg, but this, remember, this is that, oh, I get humbled. I get humbled because once we get into this state where we realize, oh, that God is the one who from the beginning thought, hey, I'm going to make... Curtis good at this thing, and I'm going to arrange life so that he can get good at it, and I'm actually going to make it so these results happen because, not, not so that Curtis can feel like he's good at this, but so that I can accomplish something good in the lives of the people that are being touched through that, and that's what actually matters. If we start to get into that state and can understand the gratitude that we have there, not only ability, but morality, because the other layer that Swedenborg adds into this is that even our, our ability to be, have integrity and our ability to be virtuous and our ability to be kind and generous and all those things, yeah, it's in you and it's good on you for accepting it and working with it, but it's source, you know, we, we are indebted, like if someone interviewed about us, us about it, we would say, oh, I, I owe everything to God, God is that, and God has given me that. 
So we're sitting here receiving that. And in the truth of that, that this moment, our ability to be alive is a gift from God. That if it was, if it was removed for a second, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't even know that we'd ever existed. That sets the stage for the power of humility. And after the break here, we're going to look at why does God care if we're in humility and what can that do for us? So take a second to reset. We're actually going to have an announcement here and then we'll go into a song process. Think about humility. What's it feeling like to you? Has, Has our mental picture of it shifted at all? And then we'll be back, and we'll, then we're going to dig into the, the centurion. And, and why does Jesus get excited about the centurion saying what he says? Okay. Oh, here's the light. It's me again. I'm Angela. And as I was talking to you before, my role here is connecting people to the New Church Live community. One of the other hats I wear is just helping us um, meet our fiscal year goal. And for you who might be new here or might not be aware, we operate on a fiscal year which ends June 30th. So we're in that final push to get us to our goal. And I think it's really important. I know it feels super practical, but also it's really important to help us continue all of the community and ways of people connecting here at New Church Live. And we just want you to help us get to our goal because it's what fuels New Church Live and helps us connect, um, offer programs, this service, the streaming, community service, um, small groups, all of the things that happen here at New Church Live. And it's super easy to give, Even though people are primarily watching from home, all you have to do is text the word New Church Live, all one word, to 77977, and you can make a donation. You can set up a reoccurring donation and have a huge impact. We have only about $60,000 left to go by June, which may sound like a lot, but it's very doable and very common at this time of year to have to make that end-of-year push. And I was trying to think of ways to help people understand the impact that New Church Live is having and how people are connecting from all over the country and world. And so I've reached out to a handful of people to offer just how they've connected and sharing how they're experiencing New Church Live. And today I have um, Craig and Sarah from Michigan who actually lead our coffee and donuts after church. So I would highly recommend you um, checking that out after church. Um, But I just asked them how they've been connecting and to just share some of their, um, you know, inspirations and ways they've been connecting to New Church Live. So I'm going to turn it to them, and I just encourage you all to think about supporting New Church Live, and we're just so appreciative of everyone's generosity. In a year that has been so difficult with a world pandemic and political unrest, I have been so happy to have the tools available to me from New Church Live and the 10 Minutes of Calm daily that Chuck has been doing. It has affected my own spirit so much to be able to focus on serving other people and finding a new form of usefulness while we're shut in at home. And also the awareness that my attitude tremendously affects other people. So I'm grateful to have the reminder each week to carry the message through my life to affect other people. Yeah, and and the uh, amazing thing that's happened with New Church Live over the last year is, even though it's based in the Philadelphia area, 
um, the outreach, the taking care of people wherever they are in the world, the awareness that the New Church Live audience can be anywhere in the United States, in fact, anywhere in the world, and raising uh, the organization's awareness and the individual's awareness of the needs of people wherever they are and serving, trying to serve those needs in, in uh, all different parts of the world has just been uh, a great influence on us, uh, helping us to think outside of ourselves. And it's a, a great way to keep our spirits up to be aware of other people and focus on them. So we're really grateful for New Church Live for that influence on our life. Good morning, everyone. I'm Marcus Cohen. I'm the production director here at New Church Live, and I wanted to take this time to talk to you about volunteering. We have so many wonderful, wonderful opportunities for volunteering now, and it doesn't have to be in person. We do have some in-person volunteering available for camera and also musicians, band, things like that. But we also have um, things you can do at home to volunteer, uh, photography, video production, editing, things like that, even people just to watch services and write down helpful topics for us. We really could use the help. If you would like to volunteer, please email me. My email address should come up. It's marcus.cohen at newchurchlive.tv. Thank you again so much. I look forward to hearing from you. So let's... Let's look at this centurion story again and see how it ties in to not just humility, but the picture of the sun and the, the absolute presence of God in our lives. And, and not just if God's present in my life. What does that mean? In the particulars, like in our ability to do things well, in our ability to live, in our ability to good, be good people, that God is there in every little bit of it. And this is part of why, why this story feels like it does. So, if I had to sum it up, like what is the emotional arc of the story? Why is the, the, what the centurion does noteworthy? It's because he's saying, I get it. Oh, I get it. I get a little bit of what you are. To Jesus. I get how you work. So let's read it again. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came with him, came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. But right away, this is a centurion, and this is a centurion's servant. So this is a person who, as he's about to say, is somebody in a position of authority, who's charged with directing and overseeing a servant, and he can tell, I don't know what to do with this. I'm a centurion could have just said, well, okay, well, this servant is paralyzed. Do this, do that, F fix him this way. And even if it didn't work, it doesn't matter. I'm in charge. But there was this acknowledgement here of, I need help. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go talk to Jesus because I don't know what to do. 
And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And this speaks to the character of God. Because you might, I don't know if you found the first half of this service pretty offensive, but I was sitting here and saying like, you know, you've got to be humble. This is, you know, you're not as good as you think. And if it, you know, there's, a, there's a, a storied history of religious things saying that to people and causing great harm and all that. That's not, it wasn't my intention. And it's not how God is. Because Jesus doesn't say to him, you think I need to come and heal? Don't you know I'm God? I can do anything? Who do you think? He says, I'll come and heal him. Says, oh, you want to do that? This is a centurion wanting to do something good. This is something that is compatible with love. And so Jesus says, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm going to come and do it. I'm not going to uh, tell you how you were wrong. And I'm not going to say, oh, I will. But just so you know, I don't have to. This is a waste of time for me to come there. I'm gonna, yes, you want to do that? I'm with you. I will... I'm, if, if you are approaching me in that spirit, I'll do it. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. And I wasn't even thinking of it before, but you remember we had that, that analogy where we're under this tarp or under a roof? Like, you don't need, no, I don't need you, God, coming into my little, uh, to my head space. Like, I, I want to learn what you are. Only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority. It just, and I don't know what the original language is. I'm not one of those kind of people. The way it's translated here, that instead of I'm in authority, I'm under authority. Like authority is, the centurion is humble. You can tell that he's humble. He understands that he's got an important position, but he's not, he doesn't confuse himself with the position. He says, I, I'm under this authority. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. So the centurion is understanding, look, if I'm capable of orchestrating this much human activity, and just me, I get who you are. I get that you can do this on a scale that I can't even imagine. I'm starting to understand how you actually run life. He's like, I get it. That, that's, that's the centurion saying to Jesus, I get it. And look at Jesus's reaction. Again, when Jesus heard it, he marveled. We don't say I, I marveled. He was, what is it now? He was shocked. He was excited can you say Jesus was hyped about, he was excited about this and said to those who follow, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. This is a good, this humility gets God excited. And then we get these two strangely abrasive passages or verses I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'm not going to assert that we can pick that apart word by word and know exactly what it means, but it sure does seem like 
Well, he's talking about Israel. Like, I'm, I'm here where the church is. And Jesus is very into the church. He's quoting scripture all the time. He's teaching in the temples. Like, he's very into it. But he's saying, the people who, the part of you, he's always talking to different parts of it, the part of you that, that feels like I'm entitled to this, that I'm not humble, that part, we're going to give the kingdom to something else. There's this, there's this ego part of us that's like, I am, don't you know who I am? Everything we were talking about before. And Jesus says, no, no, this, the part that's actually got a future here is the centurion. And I was thinking more about how is this freedom? Think about how do you erase joy from something good that you get? If somebody gives you something or you get something, let's say that, you remember our trophy holder before who won the contest and I made up this whole fictitious backstory that that 3D animated character didn't have about, let's say that, that we've got a new image of somebody who really did win first place in something and it's something big. You know how you make that not fun at all for the person who won? If you are that person, um, you say, well, I deserve this. Like this is, of course I would win this. This is how good I am, right? Because then something that's wonderful it becomes routine. And the, the higher our level of esteem is of ourselves, like our, the higher our level of aggrandizement of ourself and our assessment of our own capability is, the less anything feels good. Because it's like, well, of course, if it's more like I didn't win first prize, that's an insult to me. Versus if you get to this sacred spot of this, of the truth, I'm going to assert it's the truth, where you understand, I, here I am existing, that wasn't my idea. That existence would happen wasn't even my idea. Everything that I'm able to do is done through these systems that I don't understand. God is given me this life and given me this personality. And not only that, but gosh, I can see a lot of ways in which um, I've really like sort of grabbed onto negative things and, and behaved in ways that I'm not super uh, proud of, but I know that God has been there the whole time, tirelessly with great self-sacrifice, trying to work with me in any way, like with a centurion. Yeah, I'll go with you. What do you want to try to steer me into the right path, which now I'm reaping the benefits of? When you get to that spot of truth and humility, there think of how great it feels to feel like, whoa, I, I don't even, like you get something good, you're like, I don't know if I even deserve this, but, but it's still being given in love. Um, I'm just saying, that is an awesome feeling. That makes anything feel better. So Jesus said to the centurion, go your way and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. His servant was healed the same hour. So why does God want us to express that centurion-like attitude? Is it, uh, like, and I was just going in there having this big soliloquy about what I believe is the actual state of our lives. Why bother to say that to all of you? Why, why does Jesus get excited when the centurion seems to understand just how powerful Jesus is? Is Jesus just the thing, is Jesus the only one who's not humble? Like we're all trying to be humble and Jesus is not? 
Why should I be humble? Why does Jesus want a centurion to be humble? Humility is the only estate that allows the entrance of God. Humility is the only state that allows the entrance of God. And God wants to enter us because God wants us to be happy. This is uh, our second quote in the last one for the morning. But I want to get a little bit into just remembering who God is because that makes all these whys and wheres and hows have the emotional potency that they should have. The divine is not moved by any desire for glory. That's the difference. That's why you can say, oh, God is so awesome. Because in any other endeavor, if somebody's made something that you love or there's somebody who's doing something important or, and you can tell that they don't, they really just love the product and they're self-effacing and they like give credit to their team and whatever it is, you love that. You love that because they're not stealing. They don't make you feel small. You love that. That's what God is. And God is the only one who is like artificially humble. Because everything that I'm saying, well, we're not really as great as we think. God really is all that. But is, has got no desire for glory. And that is such a beautiful state of consciousness that, that God has. It's very admirable to not have that desire for glory. Sure, importance to do good things and stuff, but not desire the glory, man. Indeed, what glory does the divine haves have which comes from man? Oh yeah, by the way, what are we gonna, you know, who are we? He desires humility and submission, not for his own sake, but for ours. For when humility is present in a person, he turns away from the evil and falsity present in him, and in so doing, removes them. This is something you don't have to hear from anyone to know that when things are going well for you and you're not, nothing's, there's no rough patches, there's no bumps in the road, uh, it's impossible to shake me out of my shell. What do they call it? Being spoiled? When you get everything you want, you develop this really... Uh, self-focused sort of antisocial character that that does that just more and more just reinforces the oh it's about me i don't even know who you are anyone can recognize this within himself oh i was just recognizing it within myself and he says anyone can recognize this within himself only once these have been removed the divine is able to flow in with good and truth one who is haughty is ruled by self-love and not only sets himself up above others, but also does not care a thing about what is divine. As a consequence, he turns back the influx of good and therefore prevents it from being joined to truths. This is the real reason why a person should express humility in the presence of the divine. And look at that second to last clause there. As a consequence, he turns his back on the influx of good and therefore prevents it from being joined to truths. That's technical. But what it's talking about is that state of haughtiness or of us believing we're better than other people cuts us off from life, cuts us off from God and from the happiness and peace that is trying to come in. That's what God cares about. That's why God is cool. That's why God is God. Because God doesn't care about the scorekeeping system. Are you better than you? And am I better than you? 
all that's in the mind of God is, I need to get in there and help you. And the reason why Jesus is so excited when the centurion says, I, listen, I get how powerful you are, is because then God knows, oh, I can write, I can, then I can heal this person right now. I can heal the, heal the paralyzed servant right now. And that's what the, the joining of love and wisdom in us, the bringing us out of, the, the rescuing us. You ever have a little creature that got into your kitchen and you're trying to set it free and it just keeps flying to the corner of the room where there's no windows or there's a window but it does not the window that opens and you're just like, just, just go this way. Just go. That's, that's how God is looking at us. Come on, no, I need to get you here. So as soon as Jesus sees the centurion turn around and start to fly towards the door, there's this excitement. And the excitement is just in, oh, now I can set you free. And that's what humility does. Humility sets us free. It's not that God is gonna plan a future for us where we don't feel good about who we are and where we're not able to go and do amazing, powerful things. Quite the opposite. I mean, that, that's, God longs to give us everything that's his, and God is the ability to do those things and wants to very much give those to us, but can't until it's safe. And it only becomes really safe to give us that stuff when we have humility, because then God can give us as much good stuff as we can handle, and it won't turn us into uh, self-centered, selfish people who, who become more and more blocked from God because we believe we're better than other people. Once you have this humility, God can do everything good for you and it won't make you think you're better than your neighbor. It will actually get you to the point where no matter how much good stuff is in you and no matter how much you've been built up, you don't care about it. All you care about is how do I turn this into the effort to help the next person? And I fundamentally don't believe that makes me better than the next person. And that's the world we want to be in. Those are the people we want to be around. Those are the people we want to become. And the way we become that is through humility. So that's why we want to try to adopt humility as a way of life. So let's let it settle in. We're going to do just a very short, silent prayer. Doesn't have to be about humility, but mine is going to be. And just um, God's sitting there. We are the centurion because centurion gets to talk to Jesus in that moment. We have that opportunity now and always. So what do we want to say? All right, so let's just take a moment to connect with God. And you can do plenty more of that anytime, but also you can do it right now because we're going to go to our last song, which is a great time to just listen and hear what's God trying to say to us. So thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun getting to think through humility with you, and uh, I hope that it becomes a useful tool to take out into your week this week.